Welcome to another episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Revolution Radio. Making smarter financial decisions with your host, Rob Nelson, former Fox News host and anchor at Roundtable Media with his team of market masters, Mark Lepresti, Managing Director of Mineta Advisory Partners, co-founder of Battlefin, leading data platform, and a former institutional equities trader at Lehman Brothers. Alex Massioli, founder of Trade the Chain, former head of institutional prime brokerage at Bquant. John Nigerian, co-founder of Market Rebellion, former co-host of Halftime Report on CNBC, and co-founder of Option Monster and Trade Monster. Daily data insights and ticker updates direct from three of the world's top TradFi legal and crypto experts on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain every Monday and Friday on all your favorite platforms. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone, to another incredible episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain. Today is Thursday, the 27th of July, and we have an absolutely jam-packed show in the middle of the hottest part of earnings season, the hottest part of the summer temperature-wise for a lot of people, certainly up here in the Northeast. Everybody reacting to uh, J-POW and the 25 basis point hike that we got yesterday, uh, which surprised no one unless you've been living under a rock for a long time. Um, and uh, we've got a lot of things to cover, a lot of stocks to cover. I see that my dear friend, my Armenian brother from another mother, Dr. J. John, the great Nigerian, is with me. And John, I'm going to ask you to help tell the audience about our sponsor for the show today. This is a company that we featured on the Small Cap Spotlight. That's a new segment that we're going to be doing every Sunday. It's 22nd Century Corp. John, you know, this is a company you interviewed that CEO. They're doing some incredible things with genetically engineering plants and and different uh, – uh, it's an ag tech company that's also got a product, a VLN product, that's designed to help people cut back on smoking. And I've been known to smoke from time to time, so I'm really curious and interested to hear your take on this exciting company, John. Well, Mark, I've, I've tried to get you to stop moving as quickly as you move because you're a very fast-moving dude. Um, and because of that, Mark ends up smoking a lot. But that's a whole different type of smoking than the type of smoking we're talking about here. Um, XXII, or 22nd Century, folks, is a company that has uh, pioneered and has various uh, registrations of both patent and trademark on the sort of... Uh, uh, issues that smokers end up finding themselves uh, stuck because of nicotine addiction. The nicotine content of cigarettes, cannabis, CBD, which is a derivative, of course, of cannabis, um, is uh, dramatic. And it's much higher now than it was just in the last uh, few uh, years. And the reason is that they've tried to enhance it to get people to uh, basically um, be more addicted to the substance that they're selling. All of a sudden, you've got 22nd Century coming along, publicly traded company under the symbol XXII, and 22nd Century is out there helping people 
by reducing the uh, nicotine content of both cannabis, again, derivative of cannabis, CBD, as well as tobacco, uh, through their process of bioengineering, if you will, they can take it all the way down to about 15% of the same nicotine levels that you get out of a Marlboro or a uh, American Spirit cigarette. So uh, that is a tremendous boost because then instead of people sitting there with uh, Nicorette gum or patches or anything else, they're actually smoking, enjoying the process of smoking through this XXII or 22nd century product. And they're out there um, reducing their nicotine content. Eventually, it's very easy for them to walk away and quit smoking. So um, I am 100% behind this. I think this is a wonderful thing for those who would like to quit. Not everybody that smokes would like to quit, but for everybody that smokes and wants to quit, this is something that can help in that cessation. And Mark and I are proud to be part of the uh, group that is bringing this to the public. Uh, we've been working on it for the last several months, and I'd like to say that we're going to see a lot of successful um, folks that would like to drop the harmful side of smoking, whether it's cannabis or whether it's uh, cigarettes, and move on to whatever else. So, Mark, I applaud those guys, and I applaud you for hooking us well, up. Well, you know, thank you, John. Um, it, it, this is available. They're VLN, uh, low nicotine cigarette smoking cessation cigarette is available, I think, in 7-Eleven and a whole bunch of other major retail chains. Um, so the Circle, Circle K. K. So this is not a concept. This this is out in the market. Um, this this is a sponsored spot, folks. In full disclosure, we were we were paid to tell you about this company, but we we do take a very careful investor's view of the companies that we choose to feature. But by being uh, paid for these things, it helps us in, you know improve our production values and continue to bring you guys great great content. And I'll tell you, last thought on this, you know, as an occasional smoke myself I was never interested in the nicotine patch or things like that because it's not just the nicotine you know it, it's sort of the it's the it's the whole routine you know of, of, of holding having the cigarette lighting the cigarette you know or cigar very similar so I think this is a really interesting product that I'm trying it out myself so that's our sponsor that's a little bit of a, a tease or a refresher on last week's small cap spotlight. Host Rob Nelson, are you back to take the wheel again? Did we get your tech prop? Yay. I'm, back. I'm at the dri- I'm at Beautiful. the driver's seat. Um, and yeah, you know, just because you're getting paid to sponsor, it doesn't mean it isn't a good product. And look, Bulls Resin Blockchain, we make people healthy. Well, Rob, well I've, I've seen you smoke a cigarette or two. We're going to get you to try this thing. I'm, I'm on camera with them sometimes, you know. I'm, I'm a horseback Marlboro guy um, occasionally as well, you know. Especially, you know, you have a drink and a cigarette. A lot of people do. So it's an interesting thing to, to check out. Um, so Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain, everybody. Welcome in. Sorry I was a little delayed. It's the Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Twitter Spaces show. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. We do it Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday at 530 Eastern Time. And we'd love to have you. Please take two seconds. Hit the follow button. It means a lot to us. We get traction. We get more sponsors. 
everybody wins. So take two seconds, hit follow at Get Rev Radio. Just do it now before you hear any more great insight because Mark is gearing up to tell you that at, finally, Mark, this 13 streak game streak came to an end. What's going on in the market? Well, this, that, that's a really good question, Rob, right? Because look, um, J-Pow, 25 basis point hike yesterday, was completely priced in, right? We all know that. We've been talking about that for months. Everybody's tired of hearing it. Um, so that certainly wasn't news. Better than expected GDP report, positive, right? Earnings, going fairly well. Great numbers from Microsoft. Microsoft up almost 5% on the day. Um, after uh, reporting, I know John's going to cover that a little bit later, so I won't jump that shark for him. Um, GDP uh, not only uh, showed uh, growth relative to how the economy is doing, that might mean that this recession is going to be you know, a soft landing short one, which I'm certainly hoping for. But what's even better about that GDP report was it showed that prices are actually starting to ease with that personal consumption expenditure price index rising 2.6% in the second quarter versus the 3.2% that was previously expected and, even more importantly, perhaps 4.1% rise in the previous quarter. Well, um, we did have some activity, however, uh, in the bond market. The 10-year popped back up above 4 Traders did not like that. There was I didn't think that was enough, though. There was some commentary also from Bank of Japan that I think spooked traders a little bit. But after a pretty big up day, we wound up pivoting at some point, and the Dow wound up clo- the S and P, excuse me, closed down 064 percent to forty five thirty seven spot forty one. Nasdaq similarly slid almost the same level. 0.55% to 14,050 spot 11. There was definitely profit taking on that Microsoft Microsoft pop. Sorry, can't speak today. First time for me, of course, um, as well as some profit taking in Apple shares. Um, so I was a little bit surprised that the the rally lost momentum and and, and turned to a to a slightly hey, negative close. Hey, but it is what it is. Yes, sir. Hey, yes, sir. Hey, Mark. Mark, before you talk about the Fed, which I know you're going to, this is back to that thing because I want people to understand this. Like you say, we're going to head for a soft landing. That should make the market happy. This is like the earnings you yeah. know, where you beat the earnings and the market is responding. Why is the market not happy right now? They did, you said the Fed did exactly what we expected. There's a couple of things, but why? Would yeah, you and, and you know, right look, now? I think a lot of people in listening to J-Pow yesterday live and then you know peeling apart the the transcript and listening to the recordings is us market nerds do found it that it was you know actually a little more dovish um than it could have been i was expecting frankly speaking i was expecting a frankly speaking a, a slightly more hawkish tone he did of course say we're not done he did of course say we've got more to go he did of course say we're not at that terminal rate that we're looking for but at the end of the day, he could have been a little bit more hawkish, and and I think that the um, I think that the market, uh, as it did respond uh, fairly well, and of course the market was up during the day. So I'm still trying to figure out why we pivoted. I, I, some traders are telling me it's this Bank of Japan commentary. I, I'm not I'm not buying that. I haven't quite figured out. Maybe Dr. J knows, but um, and we don't need to go into detail. You know, the, the, what, what happened yesterday with the Fed has been torn apart. And talked about ad nauseum, and we've got so much to cover today. So I'm going to turn it over to Doc. 100%. Agreed. 100%. Dr. J, 
um, as, as usual, you'll give us a little macro minute, but I want you also to give us some fantastic futures on top of that because people people pay to be on the show to hear your fantastic futures. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Seriously, though, Rob, uh, folks, we appreciate each and every one of you tuning in, um, all of us at uh, Get Rev Radio, and there's a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes work that Michael Weinberg and Patrick Wagner and uh, Michael Fox, or, I'm sorry, Foxy, Stephen Fox, um, do to get this show up and out to all of you. So we want to recognize them. But this is a, uh, a situation, Rob, where we think there's a, a pretty good opportunity in the market, depending on what the Fed does next and what they're going to tell us that they're likely to do next. Because so far, um, Jay Powell, uh, very famously, I'd say, has dictated that if I'm telling you that I'm bearish, I'm bearish. If I'm telling you I'm bullish or that I that I see the uh, market turning the way I would like it to, I'll tell you that. Um, he has been very predictable, um, not very uh, opaque like some of the Fed uh, chairman in the past. So right now, Rob, I would think that Jay Powell is uh, hoping that the medicine that they've applied to the market ends up taking the market in the direction that they hope, which is, of course, that, okay, we've done enough. We've cut down the inflation risk, um, but the economy's still growing at 2.4%, which is better than his 2% uh, uh, basically uh, inflation target. But, of course, we're nowhere near that 2% inflation target. Um, but he's not going to say we have failed, nor should he. It takes a while to turn a ship this big, and we always compare it to, uh, you know, if you've got an aircraft carrier and you're trying to turn it, it's very difficult. It takes a while and all that. Um, that's all true, but... The fact that he is willing, and so far, the Fed has been willing to speak with mainly one voice on whether or not they're going to continue to uh, address inflationary pressures and at the same time address whether or not we are likely to see the markets uh, make a turn uh, so that they're not nearly as uh, driven by just growth, but instead by non-recessionary uh, uh, moves, because they don't want to drive us into a recession. If they have to, they'll do it, Rob, but they would prefer not to. And I think that message is pretty loud and clear from Jay Powell and the Fed at this point. Now, they can get frustrated. And if they get frustrated, Rob, I think that's where our risk is, that they get frustrated. It's not happening fast enough. We're not seeing inflation come down quickly enough. And for that reason, they decide, oh, we need a 50 basis point jump in September. That, my friend, will drive us into a recession. If we don't get that and instead we pause and we've peaked at the height of uh, Fed hikes, 
then I think we're okay. And it's going to be a question of uh, uh, going forward whether or not we can uh, basically enjoy the uh, bounty that we've got as far as the uh, folks that are continuing to believe that this is the place to park their money rather than Europe, rather than Asia and so hey, forth. John, can I, Rob, do you mind if I ask Dr. J a question? Please, do, um, do Mark. Your fantastic futures coverage today was on wheat futures up pretty dramatically, right? Up again, up 10% since July 11th of this year. Um, you know, one of the things that we've talked about in the past when we talk about historical trends, things that tend to repeat themselves in the market, particularly during interest rate uh, cycles, monetary policy adjustments like the one we have, that at the point at which it appears that a uh, Fed uh, is done with its rate hikes and that the end is near, that you tend to see commodity prices go bullish, in some cases very bullish. We talked about and we and we made some successful bets on that in silver and gold, which we shared with the audience. We have talked about commodity futures responding in a similar fashion. Is this part of that or is there something else driving? Because it seems like in your fantastic futures segment for the past, I don't know how many weeks now, it's been continued bullishness, continued upside movement in commodity prices, wheat, FCOJ, cocoa. Is it that correlation to the end of a rate hike cycle in monetary policy or is there something else afoot? If you know, and if you can find the mute button. Uh, Rob, Mark is exactly right. Um, we're, we are likely to see the Fed uh, uh, struggling with uh, exactly how do they address issues like, well, uh, wheat continues higher, cocoa continues higher. Um, whether it's rice or corn or whatever, they've made some of those commodities that I just mentioned dramatically larger moves in the past 30 days. Um, that is something that we all sort of worry about, but also whether or not we have been participating in those moves by being long those futures and so forth. We're all worried about, well, what if some of those futures um, that are go the inputs that go into bread like wheat or oats that go into various uh, feeds of uh, cattle, of pork, uh, and so forth, whether or not we have to face the idea that we're going to see higher prices regardless? And so far, um, consumers have not shunned, have instead embraced many of these uh, futures and uh, the price increases. I, by embrace, I don't mean, oh, yeah, we love this. But they're saying, well, we're unlikely to be in a recession if we're seeing this. Um, we're all sort of worried that maybe at some point, Rob, we do see what Mark is sort of, uh, I think, driving me towards which is a, a, a situation where consumers can't really stop this, uh, uh, you know, when we're talking about uh, durables versus non-durables. If it's a durable good, that's one thing. So those would be 
um, commodities like the kind Whirlpool makes and so forth, if it's non-durable, then we're, we're more worried that maybe that takes hold and prices go significantly higher. Interesting stuff. Judge, you have a future pick for us or two? Well, uh, our audience loves it when you do. Sure. Well, wheat was one of them, Rob, just because wheat was um, whether or not you really focus in on uh, uh, the gluten. Those of us who don't really have gluten intolerances, whether or not you focus in on wheat being a a major contributor to so many uh, sustenances. Sorry about that. Um, in America, everything from bread to uh, tortillas and so forth, except for the corn tortillas. Um, We're talking about a very significant uh, jump in prices because of what we've seen. And if that continues, again, that's something Jay Powell wants to knock down, not just put up with. And Rob, that's why it's relevant, right? I mean, you know, there's two components to this. One, let's identify these trends. Let's share them with the audience so hopefully they can trade around them and make money. This is not financial advice. This is not financial advice, of course. Um, but, but two is it's another component of the challenge of getting inflation in check and part of why when the horse has left the barn, it's hard to put the horse back in. Because if those commodity prices do tend to react to the upside – at the end of a rate increase, a rate hike uh, pattern, right, or, or, or uh, this change in monetary policy of increasing interest rates, that when the Fed is done and the Fed signals that it's done and the end is near, commodity prices go up, which, which is counterintuitive, right, to bringing down inflation. It means that stuff costs more, right? I mean, we talk about cocoa and things like that and why – the price of a cup of coffee at Starbucks is going up even more. So really, really important to understand this stuff. John, do you want to talk at all? I know we, we covered uh, Meta. I know you guys had some interesting stuff from Market Rebellion today on on eBay and, and Crocs, Pete's favorite shoe. Um, but given the uh, amount of time we've spent on this, Rob, I'll, I'll leave it to you. Maybe we want to go to the crypto segment because um, the rest of the uh, TradFi no, we go is the, We go crypto. We Let's go crypto. Alex is in, in the water with, in Barbados with John. And I know you guys will be talking crypto down there in Barbados. It's your secret, you know, night to the Templar convention, Alex. But Bitcoin's stuck at 29.5 and doesn't seem to like J-Pow very much either. What's the deal? Nick Mancini, unmute your mic. Oh, that's me. I'm sorry. I, I thought you were directing that towards Alex. My apologies. No worries. I, I was, gonna... but take it, Nick. Take it. Take it. You, you yes, sir. Pick it up. Oh, by the way, Thank Rob. Mark doesn't have the mic, so Alex. he's request. I'm sorry, Alex doesn't have the mic. <laughs> Mike doesn't have the mic. Alex is not Alex allowed to talk. Alex is not allowed to talk. He's in Barbados at a secret convention. We'll get you a I, mic, uh, Alex. Take it, Nick. All righty. So, yeah, the, the crypto markets don't seem to be a big fan of Jerome Powell's rhetoric uh, after digesting FOMC data over the past 24 hours. You know, very similar to on the crypto side of things to what Mark had said on the trade five side of things. Uh, crypto's total market cap is hovering around one point one eight trillion, uh, which is just a one percent drop compared to where we were at heading into FOMC. So, uh, you know, not just Bitcoin. It is that the crypto market as a whole was not. 
not a fan of digestion over the past 24 hours. Uh, to add to the woes following the 25 basis point hike, Bitcoin trading volume is down nearly 20% today compared to its 30-day average. Today is a Thursday. This is entirely unusual. Ethereum is not faring much better with trading volumes down 28% compared to its 30-day average. And we've talked about this at great length. Anytime we see a lack of volatility, lack of trading volume, it is certainly a red flag um, you know, for the bulls. Uh, Bitcoin sentiment is slightly bullish, uh, hovering around the 60 out of 100 level, but Ethereum sentiment slightly bearish around the 40 out of 100 level. Although Bitcoin sentiment is slightly bullish, context is key here. Sentiment has been falling since spiking shortly after the FOMC uh, press conference yesterday. So the fact that you know it is slightly bullish, it, it's been coming off uh, off of its highs, which is certainly not a, not a very bullish trend. So if it does, if it drops into the neutral territory, it could be a signal for more bearish price action uh, heading into the weekend. Um, as for Bitcoin price action directly, Rob. We were unable to break above 29.5K, which we talked about earlier on Tuesday's show. That is the critical resistance level right now. The fact that we jumped above 29.5K and were immediately shot back down, uh, it's likely that we see Bitcoin trade underneath 29K again in the near future. I hate to say it, um, but, you know, I'm just just this is how we look at the technicals um, whenever you see a spike and a drop back down that quickly. So if 28.5K does not hold on another drop, we will likely trade into 28K or 27K by next week. I'm not ready to call for that type of drop just yet, but the longer we stay under that 29.5K resistance, the more likely it becomes. And as much as I'd love to end on a positive note here, uh, the highest trending coins today in terms of price action and sentiment happen to be what we call the dino or dead coins, VGX, ARRR, BTU, and Chain are the only coins up a significant amount in the past 24 hours. Whenever we see the quote-unquote forgotten coins breathe some life, it means the broader market is prepping for some lower price action. Not 100% here, but that's typically the way things trend. It's like a whole little magical mystery to it. Rob, whoa. Yeah, I mean, Nick is absolutely right. Listen, we we, we had volatility come into, uh, into the arena during the FOMC. It didn't last very long. Short sellers got into play very quick, making killing, stomping all over this. And as we see these dino coins, so to speak, uh, influx uh, with some nonsensical, uh, you know, bleeding from Bitcoin and Ethereum into those order books, uh, the, the price action is bound to go down. I mean, I was very disappointed that we didn't maintain key volatility. Alex, are we are we are we heading into a, a crypto bear market again? I mean, everyone's talking about the crypto winter was over. Are we still maybe on the? Is it still like? Is it a Wisconsin winter? It just doesn't ever quite end. I, you know what it is? I think we're getting a lot of mixed signals right now. Um, you know, we have certain outlets and certain analysts telling us on the TradFi side we're we're in a recession or you know we have peter schiff who's tweeting out hey listen we're not in a recession we're about to go into a depression um and and you know on the crypto side we're seeing a lot of uh a lot of elevated hope so i think right now the markets are getting confused signals on our side we have earnings that are are beating or beating on the tradfi side and i would say we're in what's called the confused area um, and that's really what this summer is turning out to be. 
Yeah, but you know, you know what though? I, I want to say, really, Alex, you and Nick, you guys are unbelievable. Um, you, you've gotten it right most all of the time. We may not always agree on what the underlying factors are, but Nick's uh, support and resistance levels are have just been impeccable. We we knew if anybody that listened to the show on Tuesday should not be remotely surprised at the price action of Bitcoin, Ethereum, and crypto in general today on the heels of what we knew was going to be this 25 basis point hike. And I absolutely love, you know, similarly, folks, the same way that, you know, John and I, Dr. J and I talk about these trends, these patterns that emerge and have certain significant, you know, historical significance because of the rate with which they repeat themselves that we see things like that in the crypto market. The, 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 the idea that these dino coins, and that's something I never heard of. I assume that's from like that T-shirt, All My Friends Are Dead from the Dinosaurs, that the dino coins do well indicating bearishness for the majors is, is, is remarkably insightful. And the only thing I'll, I'll just add to the crypto update, for those of you, you know, we talked on Thursday of last week about um, putting on an options-based short position in Coinbase. John covered it uh, on Charles Payne's show on Fox Business. We shared it with the audience on uh, Thursday of last week, a week ago. We covered it again on Sunday. We put that trade on when Coinbase was about 101. Coinbase closed on the 20th on that Thursday uh, at 101 spot 26, to be precise. Coinbase closed today at $92.69. It's up six cents in the aftermarket, but like, so what? Um, so, you know, pay attention to these trends, folks. Take profits. And as John and Pete like to say all the time in volatile markets like these, shorten your swing. If you've got profits to take, take them. Pigs get slaughtered in these markets. And Mark, a great, first of all, a great trade, um, you know, that you and John did with the short position on coin. It's amazing me how uh, coin has gone down to that price level. I think we have earnings coming out. Uh, is it Monday or Tuesday? I believe Tuesday, maybe? Uh, August, August 3rd. I guess that's Wednesday. No, Thursday. Wednesday. Yeah, that's I think Thursday. that's a Thursday. Yep. I only okay. know that because Monday's yeah, my mean, birthday. We, in case anybody in B three Nation wants to get well, me a gift, hey, why'd you ruin it? We still have the Sunday show to do. We were gonna do the party then, man. Because people need time to order stuff and send it to me, Alex. That's why. <laughs> Agreed. And happy early birthday, Mark. Uh, and we'll do this. We'll do a proper birthday send off on Sunday. But yeah, I, I mean. Coin uh, dipping down to these levels prior to earnings is um, is something that you know you guys see because you follow the smart money. I didn't particularly bet on that. Uh, well, not to this level, but we do have what a couple lawsuits. We do have low volume, uh, which translates into low execution fees for exchanges. Um, so we'll see what happens. I do expect uh, Coin to. Uh, to at least meet, I'm hoping, um, but I'd love to get your analysis on where you think those numbers are going to be. I'm playing the bet on these low-volume uh, numbers that we've been talking about in crypto week over week on maybe be, on maybe missing targets. I, you know, I'm not, I don't know that I have a call on, on miss, beat, or meet at the moment. 
What I do think we're going to hear, and I think that will be an additional negative pressure on the stock, right? And I say additional because the, the primary so far has been all of these analyst downgrades. Um, that that's been what you know putting a, a pretty heavy cloud and dragging a lot of the sentiment on coin you know to the downside but I think what I, I think we're going to hear from mr. Armstrong is that while they have benefited from inflows as a consequence of the departure of other market participants from the competitive landscape I doubt he specifically calls out you know FTX or anybody else but that they have significant concern around you know ongoing regulatory pressure the enforcement action the wells notice and if he I'll make this prediction Alex if he specifically calls out Staking being in jeopardy, which I maintain that it is for Coinbase. I've said that before on multiple episodes of the show. We are going to see this stock go even lower. Uh, agreed. I think that's the Achilles heel. Thank you, Mark. And, and just to tack on there, you know, I think if, if coins heading down due to poor regulatory, uh, you know, guidance or or whatever Gary Gensler says that is against Coinbase's current business model, you have to think that that's likely going to take a heavy hit on Ethereum, considering that's the biggest staking protocol. Uh, and I would be shocked if it didn't, you know, roll over into Bitcoin and alts as well. So just something to consider in that grander context. So uh, all this leads me back to where I started with this, Alex, which is I think maybe we got a longer winter coming nick it's just that's what you're saying it's it's not good news and the coinbase stuff isn't great news either to be honest i mean uh, listen we're not putting we're not putting away the winter jacket per se but we're definitely shelving it um and i think we're in uh, sweatshirt mode I, i'm not discounting the fact that we come out of this uh and we're still working towards a higher trajectory but there's a lot of factors that are going to be in play and i think uh i think coin earnings are going to be one of those uh one of those telltale uh you know hints to it um but we'll see i mean we're we're, we're listen we're we're in summer it's slow season i know mark hates it when we say this um you know because he works all the time doesn't take vacation he's he's the money maker but we are in slow season uh we do have potentially adverse earnings coming out with regulation to coin um but i'm still holding out hope and i do i'm, I'm still looking for volume to fill in it's the Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Show on Twitter Spaces, guys. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. Again, I'm going to ask everyone to take two seconds, hit the follow button at Get Rev Radio. We appreciate it. It means a lot to us. Follow all of our speakers, our hosts. It's not financial advice, as Marco Presti said, but it is financial insights, and they're good ones, and they're free. So take them, enjoy them, um, and follow us. So let's talk. I know we had, I saw we had General Tata in the audience. I don't know if he's still around. If you are, we'll give you a mic to talk for a minute. But Mark, um, we've talked a lot about the defense industry. Honeywell released its its earnings today. Um, Joe Biden, President Biden, came out and said, you know, I get, we already knew it. You've said it. You know, General Tata said it. We, we gave so many weapons to Ukraine. We're a little behind in our storage facilities here. Um, maybe you didn't want the president to say that, but I think the market's already. Yeah, no doubt. And and uh, Tony, if you're if you are still in the audience, please raise your hand. I'm going to be more than happy to bring you up to talk about this topic. And this is something that 
we've been covering uh, both on the show as well as at live events, you know, since since January. The show, of course, launched late January, early February. But uh, Tony and I were on stage at a conference in Miami uh, late, actually, first week of Feb, come to think of it, um, where we were also joined by uh, other uh, foreign policy experts like uh, our friend Ambassador John Bolton and, and, and others um, that essentially – we're out of bullets is the simplest way of putting it, right? And we have been out of bullets for a while because of the extraordinary support that we've been providing to the military in the Ukraine. Some would argue that part of the reason why we sent those highly controversial cluster bombs to the Ukraine recently was not just because, oh, well, they're strategically useful in this particular uh, command scenario because of where these Russian troops are. I think it also had to do, and we heard from from other foreign policy experts, it also had to do with the fact that we we just ain't got a lot of, of, of stuff left to send in that direction, right? So we're running we're we running are. out of guns, Mark. Hey, Mark, Mark, I see Tony's there, General Tata. We we given you a mic. Let's let you jump in this convo. And I want to jump the shark on the politics. You know, I had you on roundtable. We've had great conversations. But I really want your market insights on this because you also come, you know, you understand the defense industry really well. And as is Mark, but you lived in it. You lived on both sides of the coin, if you will. Um, You know, is there some good news in, in any of this or is it all bad news? Tony, you're muted. Uh, how about this? Uh, I was I was just uh, listening in because I was tweaking my portfolio and I was trying to be stealth mode and just uh, pick up on insights uh, with the team here. But I'm um, happy to join in and thanks for the platform. Um, I, you know, I saw that Boeing um, uh, missed one of its numbers today and it, it uh, I think it's pretty stable. But, you know, when you think of all these big time defense stocks, um, it is a risk because we have a uh, single point of failure, particularly in a- ammunition making uh, the the. Uh, we we are uh, Wall Street Journal's been covering this like crazy. Uh, we are out of ammo uh, because we are sending uh, rockets, artillery shells, machine gun rounds to Ukraine uh, to for them to uh, fight, uh, of course, the invading Russian uh, army. So. Uh, where, where I see all of this going, this war is not going anywhere. And so the investment in defense uh, capabilities, ammunition production, weapon system production is coming, but there's a lag, right? And so there's a timing piece to here uh, to this that I see. And, and from a timing standpoint, um, is the National Defense Authorization Act, is the congressional money going to be flowing to uh, help build more than a single point of failure. Uh, And we're talking about build, right? It's one, two, three years down the road. Right now, these things are uh, piping hot, running, you know, producing as much ammo as possible. POWW, PAL, uh, uh, ammo, um, I think it's a stock. Uh, That's they're They're all um, at max capacity right now. So uh, it's, uh, it, it's something that uh, is uh, that we really need to consider when we invest. But really, from my former position as the Undersecretary for Policy, thinking about 
what are we there's no negotiations there's no diplomacy there's nothing it's all here's the weapons go fight and what if china taiwan happens uh what if something else happens that we're not predicting and right now we're riding on the axle from a defense capability when you think of the beans and bullets and and logistics to actually go fight and win wars such an interesting insight and everybody just so you know general tata is a four-star retired brigadier general he was the undersecretary of defense in, in the trump administration he's been a lot of things i just gotta say mark it's fun and fascinating when we have a retired four-star general who's done everything Tony's done, who comes on and goes in stealth mode because he wants to hear your market insights, right? And you're, you know, and you have good ones. So your response to what he's saying about it, it, this is a great well, conversation well, about, I, you know, I, where do you see I, the I'm defense I'm going to start industry? by saying that I suspect Tony's going to correct you about the last rank he had when he retired. Well, but. I, 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 I always <laughs> love doing this show because Rob always promotes me, right? I, but, I, I retired as a brigadier general, car? but that's okay. Okay, that's okay. It's uh, you know, general is a general, right? So whatever, uh, general's a general. Sorry about that. Yes, okay. No, 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 no. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, yeah, it's it's um, you know, I I do a lot of Fox and Newsmax. I get asked to comment on these things, and 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 it's it's a really precarious time, and and the real threat that we have. Um, to touch a little bit on that third rail of of uh, politics is the media is not covering this in any earnest fashion that is providing transparency because it reflects poorly on the current administration and 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 perhaps even the last administration and th- there's no uh, incentive to provide the accurate picture of where we are on ammunition and weapons in this country. But we are providing Abrams tanks, the state of the art tank in the world to the Ukrainians, and they're being destroyed in combat. But there's no discussion about that. And so our state of the art tank is going to Ukraine and is being destroyed by Russian um, anti-tank missiles. So where's that forensics? Where's that analysis? Where, uh, how many more are we providing? You know, the UK Challenger has been provided. The Leopard from Germany has been provided. Uh, and then the Abrams from the United States. And, you know, we can't make this stuff fast enough. And uh, I, I think long term, these defense stocks are a good play. I think they're a little bit overbought for the moment. Um, and, and I think there's probably a correction in there somewhere uh, as this lag that I mentioned catches up where there was there's a recognition that we we do have if not a single point of failure a few points of failure which is still not a good place to be when we're talking about making specific kinds of tanks specific kinds of ammunition there's just not uh, any redundancy within the pick and shovel of defense manufacturing and tony that's why we went bullish on the industry as early as january if not right. sooner right on okay. names like raytheon mm-hmm. and honeywell and that's another reason why um, you know you don't need to get into the politics the reason that we track this carefully on bulls bears and blockchain is because we want to understand the the investment right. opportunity uh, or or danger zone. And yes, some of these stocks are bid up pretty good, but that's why when I see a name like Honeywell, right, on the news that it gave today, which was actually pretty decent forward looking guidance and and firmly beat 
what the second quarter earnings estimates were, particularly as it relates to the aerospace division, and we could do a whole show on what that means. Right. So, mm-hmm. so we won't. But you know, I might have I might have looked to, to add to a position there in 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 Honeywell. So, um, I think they've got more room to run. I really do. And I and mm-hmm. I would look because the, to your point, the cycle of this stuff, the amount of time it makes to get up to speed to manufacture these kinds of munitions, these kinds of armaments, much less something like an Abrams tank, against the backdrop. Oh, by the way of still recovering from uh, supply chain uh, limitations and concerns and availability of parts and things of that nature. I think the defense industry has a, a bullish tint to it for a while. This is not a this week, this quarter, mm-hmm. this year. This, this, this is going out. It's going to take us a while, probably even into the next administration. And if the next administration goes to the, you know, to the other, the other type of animal, um, I think you could see defense spending ratcheted up in a catch-up mode, primarily as it relates to the threat posed by China, which, again, we could do a show based on that alone. But you could see this industry really rock and roll. And, and, and folks, we're talking long-term prognostication, by the way. But I'm looking at any of these pullbacks of any significance. I'm looking at maybe adding to position. And- yeah, yeah, that's exactly right, Mark. Uh, I, I was going to say dollar cost average into this stuff uh, as it. And, you know, you think about Honeywell that, you know, they make uh, engines, auxiliary power units uh, for aviation, uh, aerospace. You know, they're they're a true pick and shovel play for the defense industry because they make all the parts that go into all of these systems that fly and, and travel on the ground uh, for for the military. And so there's a big macro uh, play. Did we lose Tony? I think we did. Yeah. General Tata, General Tata, thank you for weighing in with us, with the market masters. You're a market military master. Um, and, and again, uh, you know, I promoted you a little bit, but you deserve the promotion. Um, and, and but, you, by the way, Rob, the, the last thing on Honeywell, they've got a significant civilian component to the business as well. It's not a pure military. Right. Play. Exactly. And I think a lot of the defense industries leaning that way. Hey, um, guys. So General Tata, thanks. You can jump into your stealth mode. This is Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Twitter Spaces. We do it Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, 5.30 Eastern time. Again, take a second, follow us at Get Rib Radio. Mark, I want to move on to crypto stuff, but I want to just quickly, just like a, a two-minute on what's going on with the FTC and, and Amazon. They have been bring, wanting to bring an antitrust suit against Amazon for a long time. It appears maybe, according to political, that's happening. What does it mean for Amazon shareholders? Yeah, listen, you know, uh, um, Gary Gensler is not the only Biden-appointed regulator to be going gonzo on on free enterprise in this country. Um, This is not news to careful market watchers. The FTC has been talking about bringing an antitrust case against Amazon for a while now, but it appears – that they are about to actually drop that complaint and file that claim 
under the auspices of Biden appointed FTC chair Lena Khan, who is one of, in my opinion, one of the most anti-capitalist, anti-free market FTC chairs that we've had in a long time. She's a noted big tech skeptic, a noted big tech uh, uh, naysayer, uh, big concerns around the, you know, the monopolistic tendencies of, of big tech. And in this case, um, when it's brought, and I think it's essentially a fait accompli that it will be brought, it's very likely to focus on the relationship between Amazon Prime, the Amazon marketplace, the way that Amazon sort of dictates how the sellers on the marketplaces interact with the consumers, that Amazon maybe controls too much of that supply chain, right, from manufacturing, distribution, delivery, fixing or setting prices. I shouldn't say fixing prices because that has a legal implication that I don't mean to imply. And then, you know, all the way down to the consumer. Um, and, and you know, alleging that Amazon may be uh, forcing merchants uh, through their policies and through their pricing policies to use Amazon's logistics, advertising services, and end-to-end supply chain capabilities. Um, so very interesting to see how this plays out. I think um, since this has been uh, not a secret for so long, I don't think it's going to weigh – I don't think it's going to tank Amazon stock. I think you could see it uh, take some hits when the case gets filed, and there will be a lot of people, a lot of talking heads talking about what the impacts could be. But, you know, I think you're looking at three years of litigation before this is ever resolved. Hey, but Mark, and I think we lost um, Dr. J and Alex to the Barbados Wi-Fi Internet. But but it, it, of course, Amazon's doing is, is that right? the name I of mean, the bar they're it, at? Is, is the name of the bar the Barbados the, Wi-Fi Internet bar? Because I, I don't it's it should be because they yeah. were in a pool. We should all be with them. But Mark, but Mark, I mean, it's not a surprise that Amazon probably is squeezing out competition. Right. And, and how do you balance that? You know, when you're looking at and, and maybe the I'm not a fan of extra regulation. But I mean, that's their job. They go after it. Right. I mean, the, all tech, big tech companies try to try to do this. I think all companies do. Right. You, you, you try to beat out your competition. Is this, you know, do we need more or less? I mean, is there an answer that the FTC could actually manage this better? Um, but by the way, Rob, we, the, the news just crossed the wire that apparently uh, uh, former President Donald Trump has been indicted yet again um, or additional charges brought new charges. Sorry, sorry, not indicted again. New charges brought in the classified. This, this is becoming Groundhog Day. It is becoming Groundhog Day. It, it, it certainly is becoming Groundhog Day. This is becoming um, Groundhog Day. Look, you know, to, I mean, your, FTC, to your primary the question, see the whole thing. To your primary question, um, are, are things that are some of the things that Amazon does maybe arguably monopolistic, particularly if you're a merchant? I think it could be argued, of course. right? I think it could be argued, um, and maybe even from the perspective of of the um, the consumers, although consumers are so uh, high on and addicted to the ability to order something, especially if you live in a city like here in New York City. If I order something by 11 a.m., it's on my doorstep by 5. 
and, and, and if it's not on my doorstep by five, you know, like I'm screaming bloody murder that I didn't get my tea cozy or whatever the hell it is that I decided that I needed, you know, with same day delivery. Um, so, you know, there, there's definitely some practices at play here that maybe warrant a look, but we'll see how aggressive. I suspect that Lena Khan, given her uh, admittedly very uh, anti-tech lean, anti-big tech lean, I think is the only way that one could describe it, uh, that I think she's going to, we're expecting her to be pretty aggressive with this complaint. Back to you, Rob. All right. Well, let's um, let's talk a little crypto, Nick. We have you. We lost. We lost Alex. Thanks. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Can you hear me now? I'm Verizon. Yep, you're back. So, Nick, we're talking about regulation. Um, Gary Gensler can't help himself. Um, he goes on Bloomberg TV and he basically says crypto speculative. There's no protections, no fair or truthful disclosures. You get away with things you can't do on the NYSE. First of all, I don't know. There may be a teeny bit of truth in that, but people get away with a whole lot. And let's not forget our members of Congress who are trading on inside knowledge. But he won't stop. He, he can't help himself. No, I mean, I, I think he's going for, for what we call, you know, the media gauntlet. I think I think Mark might know this very well. Uh, you know, he's been on pretty much every single uh, um, media outlet basically saying the same thing. Crypto is rife with fraudsters. He's been using the term hucksters uh, quite a lot. I actually looked up that definition and a huckster is technically just a door-to-door salesman. So which I'm sure many, many, many people in the U.S. have that type of job. So, you know, thanks, Gary, for, for talking down a little man. But, you know, when we talk about fraud and hucksters, you know, sure, crypto has its villains. But, you know, let's remember that Wells Fargo was legitimately opening up accounts uh, that were fake for people that were dead or doubling up on accounts for people that were alive. Deutsche Bank, $7 billion fine. So this is not just crypto and, and, and the offenses in TradeFi are almost worse. But I think the significant part about, you know, how much he's talking and and, and about what his rhetoric is, is we have a, a pretty big cycle coming up in August and September for the first deadlines for the litany of spot Bitcoin ETFs that have been filed. ARK's ARK's next deadline, I believe, is August 13th. Um, And so that's only a couple of weeks away, and the market will definitely be highly anticipating that. And then the next notable one is BlackRock, I believe, on the 2nd of, uh, of September. So, of course, that's going to be the big one because everybody is kind of bullish on BlackRock getting their way, considering how much they do get their way. But I think the interesting thing is we have to read between the lines here. Gary's saying it's not my decision. It's a lot of people's decisions. So he's pulling the, the reins back from people yelling at him if it does get denied. And then he's doubling down on his anti-crypto rhetoric, basically saying there's nothing good here. There can only be bad. So when you kind of add all that up, it does not look very good for the first deadline of spot Bitcoin ETFs. But I thought it was very important to note for our audience that August 13th is the ARC filing deadline. September 2nd is the BlackRock uh, deadline. So we will have some volatility and a lot of heightened uh, crypto interest leading up to both of those dates. And I would be shocked if we didn't hear from Gary Gensler before that as well. Uh, uh, Nick, is there any doubt in your mind that they'll get approved? I mean, I think it's almost a fait accompli at this point. 
Yeah, and, uh, and I, I'm going to kind of use some rhetoric from Eric uh, Balkunis, I think is his name. I, I may be butchering that one, um, but he's kind of one of the ETF experts, both you know in the media as well as on Twitter. And he posted something really good that that I kind of uh, that I want to share with everybody else. And I, I think it, it summed up with eventually it's going to become politically untenable for Gary to keep up what he's doing now. I think you know, and we've talked about this in great lengths. He, he's going to keep up until you know some enough people go against him. And right now you've got a couple of Dems, you've got many Republicans that may shift in the future, um, but I'm not expecting that to happen immediately. So I do feel that at some point in time, this spot Bitcoin ETF will be approved and I think it will be done before Biden leaves office or is reelected. Um, but I would uh, I would be lying to you guys if I thought the first or even second deadlines are going to be when we see a spot Bitcoin ETF. I think it's going to take to the third deadline, possibly longer. Hey, Mark, to, to Nick's point, I mean, he mentioned Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo didn't just open accounts for dead people. Every six months or every year, it's like there's a new Wells Fargo thing. It's like there was one a couple months ago. I mean, I can't even keep up with them. It's like how many times do they just completely fraud people and then they pay huge fine and move on? I mean, to suggest that this doesn't happen on the New York Stock Exchange, really? Um, I, I'm impressed uh, constantly with the creativity of folks at Wells Fargo to come up with new regulatory violations. It's, it seems like they're just really, really good at it. Um, I, I don't really know what else to say, Rob. It's, it is pretty remarkable, unfortunately. But Mark, they don't pay a price for it, right? I mean, it's like being fined when you're an NFL player and you do something and it's a fine. You're the coach. You went off, whatever. Here's your fine, right? Like they do it. And move on. Yeah. For whatever reason, people, crypto, they seem to feel like they're not going to operate the same. That's just part of business. There's some bad and some good. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, if you think that big banks uh, and, and uh, I will single out Wells Fargo, but I won't single out anybody else at the moment, that they don't take into consideration or into account what the price to pay for these infractions may be versus the profit that and, and and if it's you know if they're making more money than they're losing on the fine then it just becomes a question of profit motives which is clearly not the way to regulate uh, any uh, regulated industry so and and yeah look is is there a double standard when it comes to crypto i think everybody on the show knows you know where this administration is relative to whether it's operation chokehold or chokehold 2.0 uh, or what have you, that we've got a you know a multi-tiered system of regulatory justice in this country, but that that's that's probably not news to anyone. No, it's not news. But Nick Mancini, it is interesting because I think that may be shifting. Whether it's the ETFs that are going to shift that, whether you know whether it's having a, a huge player like Larry Fink come in and start being the chief, you know, the marketing officer for Bitcoin, if you will. Um, I, there, there does seem to be a shift under this. And by the way, Sam Bankman fried just, you know, they just had his hearing yesterday about, you know, whether he stays out of jail or in jail while he waits for his, his trial. I mean, this stuff won't go away. And to Mark's point, there's a double standard, but is it possible? Maybe that double standard is going to start shifting as there's more adoption. No, I completely agree with that. It's, it's it is a matter of time, and and you know Gary Gensler, he loves to play games, uh, you know Candyland, you know Game of Life, whatever it is. But BlackRock and Larry Fink. 
these are individuals and in, 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 in conglomerates that do not play games. Uh, they, they did not get to be in their position in life by grandstanding on Bloomberg TV and CNBC uh, and not doing exactly what they say they will. Gary Gensler is not that guy, pal, as, uh, as the meme says. Um, and Larry Fink is that guy. So I do trust that eventually it will happen. But uh, Gary Gensler is going to drag and claw his way as long as possible and talk his talk for as long as he can. Hey, Mark, question for you. You know, this has been a great show, by the way, everybody. It's Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Twitter Spaces. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. Please follow all our speakers. Um, and, and we're going to stay for a couple minutes. And let, if you want, just DM a question in. And, and although we've lost John and, and Alex, um, Mark is here. And we can do a, a few minutes of questions, and we'll, we'll do this periodically. Um, but um, Mark, you know, you're, as we wait for a question, your, your sort of takeaway thoughts on the day. You know, I think our audience listens and they really, we don't give financial advice, but we do give a lot of insight. And it's, I think it's okay to tell people like, you know, how you're thinking about the market and what you're looking to do or not do, which you've done. So if our, if our listeners were going, what's my biggest takeaway from today about what I want to think about for tomorrow and, and next week, what would it be? Well, look, um, you know, so now that we're past this 25 basis point hike from yesterday, we're sort of done digesting all of that and reading through those tea leaves. Uh, we now turn to a, a thankfully uh, a quiet August uh, with no FOMC meeting and no policy decision as it relates to monetary policy. We're going to all be trying to figure out what the Fed does, if anything, in September. I think September, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I think I've said it before, September could be a pause or skip if Gensler was being honest. Uh, uh, excuse me, if JPA was being honest, uh, a skip month. Um, as we digest data uh, from the summer, we get some more flash estimates. We get some more information about what the employment uh, uh, picture looks like, the housing market, uh, things like, of course, PCE and PCI. And if things are heading in the right direction, and by heading in the right direction, I mean the continued signs that inflation is cooling, that the job market is cooling, notwithstanding some of those uh, inversely correlated things like uh, commodity prices that we covered in the Fantastic Futures segment, which tend to make the job of cooling inflation harder if commodity prices go up at the end of an interest rate hike cycle. But that's just the way that it is. But I think, look, we're going to be looking to see, you know, at this point, We've got some new inflation data coming out on Friday. We've got the weekly jobs data, of course. Uh, actually, sorry, no, that came that came out today. Um, and we're going to look at uh, obviously the PCE uh, uh, data that's coming out uh, tomorrow. We've got a lot of important earnings coming out tomorrow. Um, so I think that's what we should really be looking at and and trying to understand how this earnings season. Uh, plays out. Um, I think the market is going to be looking for direction tomorrow. I don't see or I don't anticipate a major swing in either direction tomorrow as the market has already digested the JPOW rate hike. We have the, again, we have the, the uh, skip in August with the uh, the break, the summer break for the FOMC, um, and now it's just about how does the rest of these uh, this earnings season play out. And and as we're getting some questions come in, and everybody, by the way, DM in a question if you got it, or raise your hand. Our producer will look for it. Um, Nick, 
Same kind of question to you. Like, I know you have your magical mystery chart of Bitcoin, 29.5. You don't want to make a call. Mark's saying the market's going to look for, you know, guidance, if you will. It's going to kind of observe. You know, what, what are you telling people on Bitcoin? If you were just saying again, would you buy Bitcoin today or would you be like, I'm just going to sit and chill for a minute? That is a great question. Um, I'm always weary to make long-term calls when I do not feel conviction. And you'll remember I was I was quite bullish, you know, in Q1 uh, heading into Q2, and I and I spoke that, you know, from from the high heavens. Uh, but if I had to, you know, make a strong guess for the Bitcoin chart, I would expect us to trade in the 27 to 28k level over the next few weeks. Um, I, you know, Mark may have a different opinion on, you know, the trade fight outlook, but the, the candles, the daily candles that I saw today across big tech and equities are, and uh, equities indices, I should say, as well as the big spike up from DXY certainly strike a, a, a fearish tone uh, in, in my body. And therefore, um, I think you, you would be better off playing it patient. Maybe, you know, if, if we can hold the 29k level into next week, then I think things would look a lot better. But as they stand right now, I would not be a buyer. Uh, My next level for buying would likely be at the 27K level, following that right around the 25K level. Uh, And if we break below 25K, like I like I said earlier, you know, below 25K is where we we cease to have bullish market structure. If that happens, then I I will likely sell out of everything that I bought early this year and look for a re-entry lower. So uh, I think that's just the, the best technical way to play. Uh, Bitcoin right now. Interesting stuff. Mark, somebody asked us, and we talked about it yesterday or two days ago, so we don't need to go too far into it, but why, you know, why are stocks being punished when they're beating estimates? And I know it's counterintuitive, and I know nothing is as simple as it seems, and you're a total... You're a total date. I was going to call you a date of something, but I'm not going to add that word on. But you know what I mean. You're, 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 you're. you're. I'm a data nerd. You could say it. It's okay. I don't mind. I was, I was almost going to say worse, but you're a data junkie for sure, and yes. and that's okay. And you know, n- not everybody has the time or the brains to dive into the data the way you do. But that said, right, is there a takeaway? Like, obviously, your takeaway wouldn't be, well, if a stock, if, if a company's going to have high, you know, report, you know, beat the beat, beat the expectations, don't expect them to get punished. That wouldn't be the conclusion you draw, right? No, it, it wouldn't. But when you think about and we have looked into this a little bit more deeply, we, we talked about this on Tuesday's show. And I think I did promise the audience to do a little bit further digging. Um, I have concluded that it is a lot of profit taking related to the you know the, the these a lot of these top stocks that have beat have been on a tear this is not the first quarter that they beat so there's definitely been a little bit of profit taking there rob so I, I don't think there's a too much of a, of a major mystery there in fact you know one of the things that we did not get to um, it was some of the hedge fund follow the smart money activity um, in the TradFi block. And so I'll, I'll bring it in here because it helps in part answer the question. The largest sector that was a popular sell for hedge funds in the past month and so far, excuse me, in, in July, month to date, as well as in the end of June, 
was tech, um, semiconductors, software. Uh, so I think it's you just see a lot of uh, profit taking, a lot of foam coming off the top, and that happens to be the same names that are are beating. Um, so that's what I attribute it to. Interesting, Mark. We have a question directed for you. Well, they directed it to you and John, but John cannot. Uh oh. No, no, it's a, it's a, actually a really great. By, by the way, I, I gotta say, before you ask it, I also noticed uh, a number of uh, uh, comments and thank yous and and uh, uh, thank you emojis in the thread about people taking profits and making money on that on that. Well, Coinbase, it's interesting. Uh, that, put, put it, it's interesting. That's what the question was related to, not literally oh. to that comment, okay. not literally that comment, but was what is your. What what is it that you think is this? If you were giving someone like a tip, what is the best thing you utilize to be? They're like, how are you so good at what you do? Like, what is the sort of the thing you would say? This is what you need to be a, a better investor. You know, why they're like, why are John and Mark so good? Is at that really a question? Their, Yes, I paraphrased it. You know, I paraphrased things. No, it it's like, not the paraphrasing. It like, what's, it's like what's their what's their you know what's the lesson I should learn? Like always, always remember this. Um, we're just knowledge sponges. I mean, the amount of time and look, you know, the more you read the stuff, the more years you spend doing it, the more some of these trends that we talk about, these market cycles that we talk about that we try to cover on the show, the more they become intuitive and the more that you see them when they're happening. It, it's, it's not rocket science. It's like anything else. It's like, you know, being a, a, a you know, professional athlete, um, or, or like, uh, my new, uh, friend and, and favorite ball player, Ellie De La Cruz for the Cincinnati Reds that I flew out to see last Wednesday for watch him uh, play when they beat the, the San Francisco giants in a fantastic game there. Um, you know, how many times a day do you swing the bat, you know, to get to be right, that good? Training. Do you yeah, yeah training. it's training. It's training. It's mental training. And and it's just reading just a shit ton of information. Like we, we are data nerds. We are data sponges. But, you know, unless you have context on how to read this stuff, like I always go back to the, uh, you know, I, I, I was, and I was uh, accused of geeking out on this a couple of weeks ago when I'm like, you know, the Mannheim index is so exciting because it's 13%, you know, of the of the core part of inflation. So you're getting a flash estimate on the PCE two days before. Oh, my God, it's legal inside information. And, you know, I get teased a lot about being excited about that. But that's that's the kind of thing, right? It's just it's learning and understanding how to break these numbers down, what the data means, spotting these trends that, like we covered today, you, you tend to see commodity prices uh, uh, start to get bullish when a market gets confident that a rising rate fed is at the end or nearing the end, or we know, as I think we do now, we know with reasonable certainty where that end is, you know, within a month or two, that commodity prices tend to perform in the way that John has been covering on the fantastic future segment. So if you learn that stuff, right, and you can put responsible bets on, especially bets, you know, like we do using options where your upside may be limited, but your downside is also limited and protected. You can consistently make money. And, and, that's, you know, what and we, that's what we try to do here is try to share those skills with, with the audience. Exactly. Sharing skills and insights. And again, real clear, we are not giving any of you, V3 Nation, financial advice. But I do think it's really relevant, Mark, because it's like I have some friends who are professional poker players. And when I talk to them, they're like, I, I, I don't get lucky. I don't play on luck. 
They're like, I, I, I have trained myself to be a good poker player. And I think it's easy for people to think, oh, these guys are unlucky. You're not lucky. You're doing the work. You're, you're thinking it through, making choices. You know, DJ Max, who comes on our show, he's like, you know, you can make money in chip coins, but you got to know what you're doing. I mean, I think that's a really important thing that you, you are successful because you put in the work and everybody out there could have a version of that if they put in the work. Well, you know, the other thing is, Rob, is discipline, right? This is something that our, you know, uh, Pete, John, and the whole Market Rebellion team talk about incessantly, and that's discipline. You know, knowing when to take profit, knowing when to take losses, not falling in love with trades, not falling in love with a stock, uh, you know, not not uh, being unwilling to realize, you know, when it's time to get out, even when it's hard, learning not to cry over missed profits. getting a phone call there if i hold on to it you know just a little bit longer i could have made that extra five percent or seven percent you know never complain about profits profits are profits it's like the the old adage i was taught on my first day on the new york stock exchange i don't want to say how many years ago um but you know bulls win and 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 how many it was a lot i i saw i was 18 on my first day um and it was just after my birthday so you know do do the math you might need a slide rule uh but but you know my my uh my superior at the time, um, for now famous guy, I won't mention his name, you know, taught me something that I still remember to this day. But, you know, bulls win, bears can win too, but pigs always get slaughtered. And it's it's the pig that holds on for too long to eke out that extra 100 basis points, um, you know, that can't live with themselves for leaving any profit on the table and doesn't know when to sell. Those are the guys that lose money. So it's 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 about knowledge and combined with discipline. Interesting. And Nick Mancini, same question to the crypto space, which, you know, Gary Gensler has said it's just a wild, wild west of whatever. But the same discipline applies, right? I mean, it's easy to fall for things versus like having a real strategy. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. We actually talked about this on our trading rebellion show that we do every Monday and Thursday. And, you know, I, I was I was basically just kind of simply putting All price action is a combination of fundamentals and technicals. If you know how to pair news and information and data with the levels on the chart and certain indicators that are heavily watched by the masses, then you can form probabilities around the likelihood of what is to come. And everything that I give you is based on a probabilistic perspective. I'm seeing, okay, we have FOMC, we have PCE tomorrow, we have a now now, now we have a a six, eight week gap for the next FOMC. And and what are what is the technical saying? Well we had a we we ran the highs, uh, the equal highs on equities. Uh, Bitcoin ran the equal highs as well, dropped lower. Uh, equities are, are finally looking like they want to roll over. So we're just following exactly what the data and the technical show us. And, and that's how you form your trading thesis. So, um, you know, I would highly recommend watching TTC shows uh, because I go over the technicals, you know, a heck of a lot in there. And I'm a, I'm a big level to level trader. But if you don't come in with a plan, if you don't say I'm, I want to enter, everything is an if then statement. If price breaks this level, I'm entering. If price holds this level, I'm entering. If, um, you know, we rejected this level, I'm shorting, you know. So this is how you approach trading. Um, Never just jump in anything indiscriminately or because another individual tells you to. Stare at the chart, mark your levels, gather your plan, execute on your if-then statements. And I I have a feeling your trading uh, skills and acumen will, will definitely increase. And Nick, real quick, how someone asked, how does Square 
um, get affected with crypto's low volume or does it at all? That's actually a great question. I, I've never really tracked Square, but I, I did see that question in the comments. So I pulled up the, uh, the the Square chart overlaid on top of Bitcoin, and there actually is some general correlation to general movements, um, but there is no no such thing as a one-to-one correlation. So when Bitcoin's spiking, so is Square. When Bitcoin's dropping, so is Square, but there's no exact match to any of the, the lower time frame movements. But what I will say is I am a bit bearish on Bitcoin as it stands today. Square print- a pretty ugly daily candle. Uh, and since there is some general correlation to, to the massive macro moves, I do think that you may see Square trade down to 72 cents or possibly 72 and a half cents uh, over the next few days or weeks. Okay. And uh, Mark, I got a question for you, but real quick, Nick, another question I, I just saw was from, a, I think it must be a younger listener about Jack Mahler and Strike. Um, and it was, you know, is the is the future of all, you know, is, is things like strike is is Bitcoin an actual viable, you know, currency for young people in this country? Because clearly you understand it in Nigeria or, you know, El Salvador. But here most people don't need it. But young people, different reaction. And I've interviewed Jack Maller. Like, you know, he's you know, he thinks, yeah, this is, you know, people are young people would use this. That is a great question. You know, I, I sit in that weird brackish waters, you know, between, um, you know, the older millennials, younger millennials and, you know, Gen Z is, is close to my age. So I totally understand this kind of digital economy perspective in which, you know, if you think about someone who's growing up purely on Roblox, purely on Instagram, purely on Amazon, the, the concept of a purely digital currency seems a lot more valid than someone who grew up, you know, going to Sears um, or paying for everything mostly in cash or checks, you know, so you, so you do have to understand that. But when we think about the grander context, um, you know, there, the light, there is no lightning adoption for Bitcoin. There, there is very, there's very little cheap fees for Bitcoin. I mean, generally, if I'm sending a million dollars, half a million dollars, it's only going to cost a couple dollars. But if I'm paying for a cup of coffee right now, that's not, you know, it's not worth it. I, I would, I would much rather pay with my debit card or my credit card for for a small transaction, and that's what a lot of Gen Z is focusing on. They're they're doing micro transactions. They're playing games. They're purchasing coffees and small things, and 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 going shopping at malls and Amazon or whatever. So it's tough for me to see Bitcoin actually becoming exactly that. But I I would be remiss if to say in 20 years, instead of your buddy saying I'm going to pay you $100 for this night out, I'll send you some Bitcoin for this night out. Or send some Ethereum or instead of this Uber ride, you know, we'll split for 50 bucks. I'll send you some Bitcoin later tomorrow. Um, You know, so I think that is going to become much more prevalent rather than the absolute replacement of cash for the younger generations, if that makes sense. Hey, Mark, does does you know, you're old enough to have shopped at Sears, as am I. Nick. Oh, screw you, dude. Come on. Where's this coming from? (laughs) I, I put myself in the same boat, you know. What kind of an unwarranted character assassination <laughs> is going on right yeah, now? Yeah. Come on, baby, we love your, we love the coit, the coit hair. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Mark, is the market aware of what Nick's saying that there is a younger demographic moving in, and they are wanting to be in the financial space. They want to trade. They want to democratize the space. The Robin Hood stuff, you know, Jordan Edelson's trading like. People are moving toward it. Like, is is that how do you look at that when you look at the traditional markets and not whether people will, will be shopping in Bitcoin per se, but kind of the acceptance of that broader, you know, 
influx of young younger people who could actually be in the market space in a far more active way. Yeah. No. Well, listen. I mean, I, I think um, we are. Uh, I think that's a definite thing, right? Um, and in so far as the, the younger generation, and not just the younger generation, but a huge part of the world that is still going through, you know, earlier stages of industrialization and and becoming part of the, you know, sort of the global monetary system, they're not going to do it with traditional, you know, brick and mortar banks. They're not going to do it, uh, you know, by coming into the TradFi system in the way that you would historically think. They're going to come into it, uh, you know, through uh, a lot of decentralized systems and decentralized payment structure structures, uh, many of which I think are going to be you know, founded in, in blockchain and things of that nature. So I think I'm, I'm personally and peer to peer payments without even necessarily going into crypto. So I'm definitely long term bullish um, on the industry for those reasons. Um, you know, we do have a coming of age that will be happening of a generation that grew up, uh, you know, with these types of applications being uh, not unique things like you know square and tap to pay with apple pay and things of that nature but that being the 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 primary means of conducting commerce that they grew up with right um i you know i even think of uh you know uh, people in my own family without naming names um so you have to be long-term bullish on companies that are part of that ecosystem but we're talking long-term trends here we're not talking you know trades that you can put on and expect to make money in the next week month or quarter um um, th- those types of uh, horizons are going to be subject to volatility driven by earnings and monetary policy and all of that good stuff. Last last one for you, Mark. And and by the way, everybody, thanks for joining in for the, the our version of the after show where we kind of bring your questions in. Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain. Just going to remind everybody to follow us at Get Rev Radio. Take two seconds, hit the follow button, follow Mark, follow Nick. You could follow Alex and John, except they unfortunately fell off the map in their Barbados bar. But Mark, 22nd century groups um, focus on plant-based technology. So, um, you know, what technologies are they using for the tobacco, hemp, you know, stuff? And and, and so the bigger question in that to me is like, like when you look at a company, a, a spotlight small cap company, are you looking at what they're doing you know, are you looking at the underlying piece of it and seeing other threads or strands, no pun intended, that you would go see that's there's a there's a link here. I should be looking at that space, too. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, and we try to do it in the context like we even do with our own investing, you know, both at the public company level, but even at the, the uh, VC level and the portfolio company level um, that a company is. Uh, pursuing a particular uh, business that is in a sector or a subsector that we have an underlying uh, a bullish belief in, right? Um, you don't want to be investing in in buggy whips, um, you know, at the time that you know cars are taking over the road. So, um, like a similar reason why I wouldn't touch something like GameStop, right? So, you know, being in the the brick and mortar business of, of video games, when you know video games and gaming in general is going to the cloud and online, 
you know, seems very silly to me. So this is a company that's got um, an ag tech and agricultural technology component to it. We don't really have time to get deep into how they do what they do technologically, but it's but it's it's with genetics. Um, that's the, a lot of the core of, of what they do is 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 genetically modifying um, the, these plants uh, to dramatically reduce the nicotine content, as as I understand it. So uh, that is a, a a strain of agricultural technology. Which we believe is is uh, has been and will continue to be um, a, a pretty hot sector. Um, so if they do the first step that we take right is is are these companies in a sector in an industry that we have a broader bullish belief in? Um, and if the answer is yes, then you know we take the next the next step to say, okay, how do they do what they do? What's the market penetration? What's the revenue? EBITDA margins? Who are their distribution partners? You know. All of that typical stuff. So go to the crow's nest, everybody, for more info on this. Mark, Nick, one last thing. Mark, I'm not a market master, obviously, but um, but I do I do I'm going to challenge you just on the GameStop thing. And Nick, I want to bring you into this too. I think GameStop's move with Telos to basically put themselves in the cloud, carry you know, let the big gamers come on. And, and be, you know, you can move your assets, you can move things, you can rent them, move them game to game. It's not Web3 gaming. It's taking Web2 games. I think GameStop may have figured out their mark their, They know what Mark knows. We're dead in the water as a retail outlet. But if we live in the cloud and we become the first one to allow you to move assets back and forth on a blockchain, Telos, um, that could be a win. So, Nick, your thoughts and then Mark, your thoughts. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think the industry is moving towards that. You saw Brian Armstrong um, make a post uh, yesterday on Twitter talking about, you know, needing a a multi-chain world. You know, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, you know, we need a conglomerate of L1s, of L2s, of different chains to make sure that people are getting the best fees, the best execution, the best products for whatever actions they want to take, whether it be financial or with products and assets that they own. Um, So I completely agree with you that, you know, we've talking it, it takes it takes the big boys uh, to making a step in the direction for everybody else to kind of follow in suit you know elon was talking about quote unquote the everything app now facebook wants to do that now amazon wants to do that now coinbase is, is setting themselves up to do it and obviously gamestop is figuring out how to do it in their own way focused on obviously the ever-growing gaming sector first um so i am extremely bullish on this type of uh, of this type of economy and we've been talking you know multi-chain will be the way I do think Ethereum is going to continue to lead the way just based on adoption and development, but there will be more options and the consumer always wins uh, at the end of the day when you have a massive amount of competition in the market. Well, well, listen, listen, I mean, Anthony Diorio, one of the founders, one of the eight founders of of Ethereum said to me, you know, a couple, like two months ago, he's like, Rob, I don't want to just be identified with Ethereum. It is a multi-chain world. You know, I I think that's where we're going. It, it's, hey, Mark, it's really the only way. Mark, Mark, are you just too old to appreciate the GameStop thing? Okay, that was a totally low blow. I'm just kidding with you since I think I'm older than you. But what are your thoughts on what Nick just I, said? I don't, I don't need GameStop to help me rent games in the cloud. Like, well, no, what? it's not renting games. It's that they're on the Telos blockchain so they can, okay. you can move your assets between games. So okay. gamers love that idea. I can take my 
my sword and move it over here. Yeah, but how, but so again, why why do I? It's it's not it's not the GameStop protocol that's doing that. What's proprietary about that? Nick, you got an answer for that? I mean, my understanding is it's the fact that they're the only one on a blockchain on Telos. So if a big gamer puts their game on GameStop in the cloud. You get something you can't get in Web two gaming any other way. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to act like I fully understand exactly how the Telos and GameStop integration is going down. But if you think about it from you know just an extrapolated gamer question, you know, let's say Grand Theft Auto, Call of Duty, and I don't know Halo all make a partnership with Telos, right? And all of these games, they typically make partnerships with massive uh, companies such as you know Gear, Gears of War was featured in Halo. Um, that, you know, there's a bunch of different, um, you know, Marvel was featured in Fortnite. So they're, they're doing this crossover with, you know, whatever the kids really want. So imagine you have a Halo sword that is available in your GTA lobby uh, that is that is tied to you. So that that would be something really cool that you could cross over. And obviously both games are benefiting from that because there's a partnership there. And if you're playing GTA, you're probably going to go play Halo 2 because you've got these these asset tie-ins. So I see that as an option. Um, you know, and Mark is right. There is, you know, you can buy purchase games on the Microsoft Store through your Xbox. Same thing with PS3. Um, but, uh, you know, I think we're, we're thinking longer term here, not just specifically tied to an account that can be ripped away by, let's say, Microsoft or Sony, you know, if I if I'm paying Sony twenty dollars a month for my for my live or my my online access and all of my stuff is is synced to that, well, if they yank me for some sort of you know quote unquote violation or whatever, I would probably lose all of that. But that really would not happen on the blockchain with my own private keys, my own private account. So there, it's there's there's a couple of ways. I still need to do more research on it, but I but I do see how it can benefit long term, provided the ecosystem, the games, the individuals all buy. Well, let's be clear. You said Mark is right. Let's be clear, Mark. Mark is almost always right. Let's just stipulate to that. He's got a, a prescience. I call him Mark LaPrescience. Um, but Mark, when you hear that, and I'm, I'm sort of having fun with the GameStop thing, but this is the sort of what I was originally starting with, that the TradFi markets are having to start understanding a new space, the Web3 space, if you will, and adapt to it. And you're obviously looking down the road at all of that, right? Yeah, certainly trying to, for sure, yeah. And and last insight, last word to Marco Presti. Uh, last word. Um, <laughs> there is no clear uh, leader at the moment when it comes to that. So I think it's going to be... Uh, a bit of a horse race, as is many things in crypto and Web3. So I want to just thank everybody for, for joining and uh, look forward to seeing everybody or listening to everybody again when we do this on Sunday. We'll cover the week that was. This is the fun stuff, though, Mark. I love this. Like uh, I love this follow up where we're all just talking and appreciate the audience's questions and the insight, the banter. Um, I'm sorry we lost Alex and John in the middle. But everybody, please take a second. Follow Mark. Follow Nick. You can't follow Alex and John right now. You can follow us at Get Rev Radio. And as Mark said, we will be back on Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, 530 Eastern time. We appreciate you guys. And Mark, just as we wrap it up, you want to just give a quick shout out on, on the Verijet giveaway? Yeah, of course. Um, we are still uh, running that Verijet private jet uh, sweepstakes, where if you go to Verijet.com, there's a link there for a form that you can fill in and share your worst travel experience. 
That makes you eligible for a drawing to win a ride on one of those incredible Cirrus SF-50 Vision Jets operated by our friends at Verijet. That's Verijet.com. Go and check it out. And, and Mark, you've flown on these Verijets, right? I mean, you've had the experience. Uh, yes, I flew one Monday, Sunday, Saturday, and Friday of the past weekend. So, uh, we yes, we, we fly we fly them quite a bit. So, if you want to be Mark Lepresti, get on the Verajet giveaway. That's a, that's one step in, along with doing your homework. Thanks, you're, guys. You're, you're great... going to dissuade people from doing it now, Rob. Jeez, that's <laughs> no, not helping. No, at all. they're all going to get on it. <laughs> they're all. <laughs> They're all getting on it. We just had a, a general come on and tell you he's, he's hiding in the shadows to hear your advice. Great show, guys. Appreciate it. B3 Nation, we appreciate you. Tune in again with us on Sunday. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for joining Rob Nelson, Alex Massioli, Mark Lapresti, and John Nigerian with another great episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain twice a week on Revolution Radio. Whether you're new to the world of Web3 finance or an experienced investor, we've got you covered. Follow us on Twitter at GetRevRadio and visit our website at revolutionradio.io, helping you make smarter financial decisions. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.